Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Lord Jesus, we worship you as the one who is full of grace and truth. The one in whom the glory of God, the glory of the Father is seen, displayed clearly. We thank you, Lord, for your living presence with us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we recognise that you are our teacher. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning as we look into your word that you would teach us, reveal truth to us, reveal the glory of God to us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Good morning. Love to see you all here. I kind of thought there'd be no one here because it's school holidays, but uh, here we are. Quite a gathering. And uh, this morning we continue our series called Alive in the Spirit. Who's alive in the Spirit? Anyone? Yes. Some of you. This is fantastic. Great to have the kids in with us today as well. And there are some activity sheets on either side of the stage. If you'd like to come down right now and grab yourself an activity sheet. There's some on this side as well. I don't think there are any pencils or pens. hope that you've brought your own pencils. I don't know if we can do anything about that. Seems like there should be pencils. Maybe there's never pencils. I don't do the sheets. But um, come and help yourselves to those. So as Graham said when uh, he launched this series, our plan is to work our way through the book of Acts over the next couple of years. When he said that, everyone laughed as if that was some kind of a joke. But that's true, actually. Over the next couple of years. So... um, The plan is to kind of dip in and out of Acts rather than just plough our way through. So we'll jump in and out a little bit, but um, we'll do it kind of in bite-sized chunks beginning with the first four chapters, which will take us this couple of months. And uh, as you may have noticed already, with each um, of the messages, there'll be a kind of a key word for each message. And uh, so we began with witness on week one. Then last week was power. And today, the specific word is turn. So let's just put this passage in a little bit of context. The Bible outlines four great divine acts of human history. Here they are. So number one is creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, We see that in Genesis 1, by the power of his word, the spoken word, God spoke the creation into being. That's the first great divine act. The second is the incarnation, the word of God, that same word of creation, became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, right? Yep, in the person of Jesus, uh, John 1.14. The third great divine act, which uh, Michael touched on last week, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, here in the second chapter of Acts. And uh, then the final act yet to come is the day of the Lord, the second coming, the day of Jesus' return. So the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost ushers in the period that the Bible refers to as the last days. 
the period that we now live in. So if, come on, if someone uh, comes to you and says, ooh, I think we're in the last days, uh, like that, well, they're right, we are. We are in the last days. And, um, you know, theologically speaking, the last days period falls between Jesus' first and second comings. Uh, if the same person comes to you then and says, and I believe that Jesus will return in the next couple of years, or as uh, someone said to me this year, apparently there's a few rumours going around that um, Jesus will return in September, like September this year. You, you might, oh, pencils, there are pencils. If you missed out on pencils, praise the Lord, we have pencils. <laughs> Come and help yourself to those. Be bold. It's fine. I'll just keep going. September. I believe Jesus will return. So if someone comes to you and says that, uh, well, it's a limited window, isn't it? There's only a few days left in September. But here's the reality. They might be right. And one day someone will be right about that. But, you know, people have been saying such things for 2,000 years. The Lord is going to return, I think it's going to be in my lifetime. People have been saying that literally for 2,000 years. And as I say, one day someone will be right about that. But only the Father knows the timing of the day of the Lord. Having said that, I hope that you would agree with me when I say there's some wisdom in living our lives in such a way that we actively anticipate and expect the coming of of the Lord, and that we live our lives with a, a sense of hope and a sense of readiness for that final great divine act of history. We need to be ready for when the Lord's going to return. So, back to the book of Acts. Um, our passage today is a very long passage. We're not going to read the whole passage. It's actually Acts 2 14 to 41, if you're um, taking notes this morning. But let me summarize it for you. This extraordinary event has just taken place in Jerusalem, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this gathering of people. And the response of those looking on is a mix of faith and awe and fear. And often when people fear something or they don't understand it, they criticise it or they mock it, which is what happens here. Oh, they're all drunk. Have a look at them. They've had too much wine. Check out these guys. They're, uh, I reckon they've, they're just making fools of themselves. They've had, a, they've had a few too many, been on the source. That's kind of the rumour that's going around. So then Peter stands up. Now, the same Peter to whom Jesus spoke saying, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Remember that? To you, Peter, I give the keys to the kingdoms. This is same Peter. The same Peter who just a short time ago was warmed, had warmed himself by the fire in the courtyard and vehemently denied that he even knew Jesus three times. You know that story? Jesus, no, no he's not a friend of mine. Never heard of him. Nothing to do with me. I don't know him. Three times. That same Peter is now a different man, empowered, emboldened by the filling of the Spirit. He now steps into the leadership role that Jesus gave him. And this is what he says. He said, this, these people are not drunk. What you are witnessing is the fulfilment 
of the prophecy of Joel from 400 years ago, in the last days, if we can flick over to the next screen, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. This is Joel, 400 years earlier. That prophecy, says Peter, is being fulfilled right here and right now in your very presence. Then Peter goes on to preach the gospel to these people. He tells them about Jesus. And, uh, you know, you've got to picture this. This must have been quite a tense moment because it really hits them right between the eyes with some hard truths. This Jesus is the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. He is the very son of God. And you killed him. Wow, this is the message. This is a hard-hitting message. You put him to death. But now, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of this, says Peter. We've seen him. We met with him. We talked with him. We've seen the nail holes in his hands and in his feet, the nail holes of crucifixion, the nail holes of death. We've seen him, this man. It's really him. And now he's exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has now poured out what you now see and hear. It's an extraordinary message. It's a fulfilment of this prophecy of Joel. And now Peter really drives his point home, full of the Spirit. He says in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Again, he's back on it. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Saviour, Messiah. So now the mocking has stopped. The scoffing, the jeering, the scepticism, the cynicism, it's all disappeared. You know, John 16, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's what's happening here. The crowd listening to Peter is being convicted by the Holy Spirit. They realize they are in the wrong, very much in the wrong. And the Bible says they are cut to the heart. They are devastated. They are they're convicted the core of their being, and they, they get a revelation of who Jesus really is. They realize what they have done. They say, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? And here we come to the heart of Peter's message, and it's the heart of my message this morning as well. The heart of his message is a call to repentance. It's an invitation to turn. So you've heard the saying, one good turn deserves another. Well, this morning I'm going to give you three good turns that will change your life. And the first is this turn towards salvation. Or the embracing of repentance. 
So this is the turn referred to in this passage when the people hear the gospel, they receive a revelation of who Jesus is by the power of the Spirit. They see with great clarity who they are and what they've done. They cut to the heart, brothers, what shall we do? Peter's response is this, turn. Turn, repent, be baptised, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a wonderful promise and the promise is contingent upon the turning, the repentance. The repentance must come first. Now my belief and here's where, um, you know, there are, as in lots of things in the scripture, there's different um, interpretations. So I'm going to give you my interpretation this morning. My belief is that this turn towards salvation is a one-off, once-in-a-lifetime turn. You might have a different understanding. That's okay, I'm happy to chat about that. But my belief is it's a one-off, once-in-a-lifetime turn. In other words, salvation is not something that you can jump in and out of through your life. So you receive salvation by grace through faith, yes. And then let's say you commit some terrible sin after that. Do you then forfeit your salvation as a result of some terrible sin you commit? Uh, well, I would say no. You didn't earn your salvation by good behaviour. So you don't forfeit it by bad behaviour. As you turn towards salvation through genuine repentance, this one-off thing, you receive the gift of eternal life and you are adopted into God's family. That sounds to me like a kind of a permanent arrangement. You know, you think about the prodigal son, even the prodigal son uh, was welcomed home uh, and in that period when he was away from his father, what had he lost? He'd lost relationship with his father, which is a terrible thing, but he hadn't lost his sonship. Now, having said that, there are some fairly clear warnings in the scripture about those who've tasted the heavenly gift, Hebrews 6, have shared in the Holy Spirit and have fallen away, perhaps even renounced their faith. Stern warnings about that, right. Sounds like I'm contradicting myself. Those verses in Hebrews 6 generally lead to some interesting discussion about whether you can lose your salvation or not, a debate that's been raging down through the ages forever. <laughs> in the end, surely the warnings are sufficient for us to conclude that it's not wise, it's not smart to put that theory to the test. And in the end, we trust that the Lord will do what's right and just and on the day of the Lord, that fourth great intervention of God, believe me, no one will be saying this is not fair because we'll see things as they really are and we'll see Jesus for who he really is and we'll see ourselves for who we really are. And that highlights the main, one of the main barriers to people turning to God for salvation. It often boils down to a failure to see and rightly understand the true nature of the human condition. And the problem is that people compare themselves to other people and generally to bad people. And so what they do is they look at a guy like that and say, well, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm not like that. And so then they conclude, well, I'm 
actually not such a bad person. In fact, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a good person who tries to do the right thing. Well, this was the sin of the Pharisees, who Jesus says were confident of their own righteousness. If we can go to the next picture. Thanks, Ed. Like this guy on the left. If you think of yourself as a basically good person, and the prayer of the Pharisee, remember, was, I thank God, thank you, God, that I'm not like this other person over here. It's a comparison thing. If you think of yourself as basically a good person, then it's only a small step to think that really God owes you a favour or two. It's this wrong thinking that leads to a posture of entitlement. I deserve a break. Come on, God. I've basically lived a good life. I deserve to have some good things happen to me. It also quickly leads, this wrong thinking, to a posture of outrage when things don't go my way. All my life, I've tried to do the right thing and this is what I get. Well, thanks a lot. And I'm outraged by that. It's wrong thinking. And it's wrong thinking that will not lead to a place of repentance. Instead, it will lead to indignant entitlement, people turning from God because God has somehow let them down because he owes me because I've been good. But right thinking comes from a revelation of who Jesus is in all his perfection and therefore a revelation of who I really am. See, this is part of the essence of the gospel. We're not to compare ourselves with other people like the Pharisees did. We're to compare ourselves with Jesus. And when we do, our response will be more like the tax collector from Luke 18 who wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven but instead fell to his knees. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, a right understanding of the true nature of the human condition leads to a very different posture, a posture not of entitlement and outrage, but a posture of brokenness and humility and repentance. Isaiah 66, these are the ones I look on with favour, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. This is the kind of person God looks upon with favour. A person who rightly sees themselves in the light of Jesus and says, I am a fallen, broken, sinful person who is desperately in need of a saviour. It's those people who have revelation of the true nature of things, the true state of their own sinfulness, who respond as the listeners in Acts 2 did and are cut to the heart. What then should I do? What can I do? Well, the message translation says, change your life. How? Turn. Turn to God. That's the first good turn. One good turn deserves another. Well, the second turn is the turn toward fullness of life or the embracing 
of holiness. Why did Jesus come? There's a question we might ponder this morning, and uh, there's more than one answer. We might answer with uh, the scripture that says, well, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, So in other words, why did Jesus come? Well, to bring salvation, to bring people to salvation. That's the first turning. Uh, We would say, yes, good answer. That's kind of the eternal answer. But in John 10, 10, Jesus says this. He says, I have come that they might have life and life in all its fullness. And now is that a maternal answer? Yes, it is. It's also a temporal answer. In this life, that we should have life. In this life, that's lived in abundance to the full. This is the second turn. And uh, we should note that the second turn assumes the first turn. The second turn, the fullness of life turn, is not possible without the first turn of repentance. But once we've received salvation, how then should we live? Well, very early in the formation of the early church, many were asking this very question, and uh, a line of thinking emerged, which again was wrong thinking. We're all so prone to drifting into wrong thinking. Here's another example of it. It went something like this. Well, if we're saved by grace and our salvation is secure, yes, and our sins are forgiven, past, present and future, then we're free, aren't we? Yes. Well, maybe that means we can now do whatever we like. Woohoo! Live it up, luxury, whatever I want. Sexual indulgence, no consequences. This whole Christian thing is a pretty good deal. It's kind of a wrong thinking, a line of thinking in the early church. So Paul hit that pretty hard on the head when he wrote to the Romans. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Maybe that's, a, maybe that's what God wants. He wants us to sin more so that his grace will be even more abundant towards us. By no means, says Paul, Romans 6.1. Absolutely not. Stop that. <laughs> Stop that thinking. He says a similar thing to the Galatians. He says, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So the first turn is a one-off, once-in-a-lifetime turn. The second turn is a, what we might think of as a daily, moment-by-moment way of living, putting off the old, putting on the new, turning from sin, turning toward holiness. I'm looking over that way as I say sin, and I'm looking this way as I say holiness. I'm not meaning to do that. No offence to you people over here. Well, that maybe it applies. I'm not going to say. But it's a daily turn. It's a daily moment-by-moment turn away from self towards God, taking off the clothes of death and clothing ourselves with Christ. So when Paul writes to young Timothy, he warns him about the dangers of pursuing wealth He says, many people eager for money. Tell me if this is not a a description of our generation. Many people eager for money, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But then he says, but you, man of God. He says, man, because he's talking to Timothy, but you, woman of God, you, people of God, flee from all this. Turn. Flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. In other words, turn. 
turn on a regular, on a daily basis. Turn from the things of the world. Turn from self and turn toward the things of God because there you will find the fullness of life that God has for you. It's a daily, moment-by-moment decision. The first turn, repentance, one-off, once in a lifetime. The second turn, daily, moment-by-moment. It's a good turn. The third good turn is the turn toward peace, the embracing of shalom. Now, this is a different kind of turn because, interestingly enough, you're not the one doing the turning. Consider for a moment the beautiful priestly blessing of number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. What a remarkable thing. It's a beautiful image and in fact you may well have had the experience of a toddler sitting on your knee, perhaps your own child or a grandchild or a relative and you become distracted for a moment and the toddler takes hold of your face. Have you ever had that? And turns your face toward them. Undivided attention <laughs> is what those toddlers are after. Got a little granddaughter who does that. May your loving father give you his undivided attention. May he turn his face toward you and give you his peace. The world craves peace. Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace of soul, inner peace. Of course, people look in all the wrong directions trying to find it. Yoga, meditation, a holiday by the sea, some fresh country air. These things may well bring you a, a, a form of temporary peace. But true peace is only found in the one who the Bible describes as the Prince of Peace. Listen to these words of Jesus who said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, fulfilled here in this passage in Acts, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said, including this, peace be with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This morning, may the Lord turn his face towards you, each and every one of you, and give you his peace. Not as the world gives. It's not that kind of peace. It's peace that transforms transcends human understanding. It's a peace that will guard your heart and your mind. It's a peace 
That is the fruit of the Holy Spirit who was poured out at Pentecost and who continues to be poured out over his church, over those who have ears to hear and hearts that are open. It's the fruit of the Spirit, peace. It'll emerge, it'll grow, it'll develop in your life as you receive the Spirit. It's a peace that only Jesus can give. And as Peter closes his message, he, he says a couple of very powerful things. He says, to the, this is actually, this is interesting, to those who he has just accused of killing the Son of God, remember that? This Jesus who you crucified. To these people, many of whom were very likely in the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, caught up in the moment. To those people, Peter says, the promise of forgiveness. <laughs> Think about the timing of this, God's timing. The promise of forgiveness, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. You who have just done this terrible thing just weeks ago. You have killed this one who's the son of God. The promise is for you. I find this extraordinary. The second powerful thing is, he says the promise is for your children. What a beautiful thing, especially in a culture where children really had no place, no status. So for children here this, with us this morning, those old enough to understand, kids, can I just get you to listen for a moment because this is for you. Just stop your colouring for a second. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for you. It says so in the Bible. The promise is for you. The promise of peace over anxiety is for you. It's not for people who have their act together. It's not for people who have everything worked out fully. It's not for people who've completed some kind of course of study or have passed some sort of test by their good works and proven their worth. It's for you and it's for anyone who is prepared to come with the faith of a child. Kids, you know, uh, I, was, uh, I was 11 years old. Imagine there might be some of you here who are around 11 or younger. I was 11. When I went along with my parents to a meeting with a whole lot of people like this, um, to be honest, I, wasn't, I hadn't even really been listening very much to the preacher. He was a boring old guy. <laughs> All right. Yep, no comment about this morning. <laughs> Some of you might think the same thing. I wasn't even really listening much. I thought he was a bit long and boring. But I'll tell you this. At the end of his message, he invited people to come to the front to commit their lives to the Lord. And suddenly, I knew that was me. And many people in the room will be identified. It's not about coming to the front. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front this morning. I'm going to ask you to do something. But many in the room will identify with that feeling, that knowledge deep, deep in your knower, deep in the deepest part of who you are. I knew when I was 11 years old, this was my time. This was for me. I put up my hand. I said, yes, I want to give my life to the Lord. And this morning, there may well be some here, maybe children, 
maybe some older folk that the Lord is calling. And the word of the Lord to you is that this is your time. Today is your day. Today is the day of salvation. And today is your day to respond to God in that once-a-lifetime turning of repentance to salvation. So let's bow in prayer, shall we? Just as we pray, it's been mindful in my preparation that we don't want to just talk about power. We want to experience power. We don't want to talk about, just talk about the coming of the Spirit. We want to experience the power of the Spirit in our lives. And Father, we don't this morning just want to talk about repentance. We want to issue the call to a response of repentance. And we thank you, Lord, that this is not my call today. This is your call, that you call people by the power of your Spirit, that you move amongst your people even now. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're a a strong and committed, 100% secure believer in Jesus, why don't you pray? Just pray this morning. Just join me in praying for those for whom that may not be true, those who are unsure, those who perhaps have never come to that point of turning, of repentance. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work of your Spirit in convicting people of the way that things are, that we compare ourselves not to other people but to you, Lord Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but those same people are justified freely by your grace as they turn in repentance towards you. So just as people have their heads bowed, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing this morning. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but if you are sitting here this morning thinking, I want to respond to God in repentance, that once-in-a-lifetime experience, that's me. I know the Lord's speaking to my heart this morning. I want you just, when I'm looking around the room right now, just make eye contact with me and just, just lift your hand. Just give me a little wave. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. It's beautiful. Thank you. Are there some others? Doesn't matter if you're old or young. Thank you. It's a beautiful thing. Are there others? Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Many hands. Praise God. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So to cast my eye across the room one more time, from left to right. Thank you, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Well, thank you, Father. Thank you that your spirit is alive and well, that you continue to invite people to to salvation, to a life in all of its fullness for all of eternity. Thank you for those who've responded this morning who have been welcomed into your family, adopted as your children. If that's you this morning, why don't you just bow your head right now and just pray this simple prayer with me. So Father, I'm sorry for the things that I've done in my life. 
right now I turn to you in salvation. I give my life to you. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that my life might never be the same again. As I learn from this moment, this very moment of this day, what it means to live my life for you, to walk with you, to walk in step with your Spirit. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the gift of salvation and eternal life. And I thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.